0: MyPatriotSupply.com.
1: You are listening to As a Woman, episode 116 Stress. In this episode, we are talking about what stress is, how it changes your hormones, and how that can impact your fertility. Welcome to as a woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford to educate and empower women each week, learn
0: about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to the as a woman podcast. Today I'm talking about stress. This is a complicated topic, even though it's a word we are very familiar with, and we use it all the time. I mean, how many times have you sat there and said, I'm so stressed out, I don't know about you, but I've said this over and over and over again. And I've also used my own stress as an excuse a thousand times. A reason to live in contingency, because I have this stressor that I need to get past before I go and do the next thing, like a workout or take care of myself. And the problem there is that often these stressors build upon themselves and they're not just acute events. So let's just think science-y. First part of this episode, we're going to talk science because you know I love hormones. Then we will talk about your body, what happens, and start to talk about how this impacts our fertility and what we can do about it. And the reality is your body is one body. Your fertility is not an isolated acute thing. We must understand that even though medicine has divided into organ systems for ease of becoming a specialist or expertise, the entire body is connected. What is bad for one thing is bad for another. And that's a really important concept. So even though I'm going to talk about a few studies and fertility outcomes, because that's my area of expertise, stress is bad for you in so many different ways. Okay, so what is stress? To put it into scientific terms, stress is anything real or perceived that is a threat to homeostasis. So homeostasis is the process of well-being where everything is status quo and functioning perfect. The body's goal is to be in homeostasis. It wants to be not neutral, have everything going perfectly. And a stressor is something that changes this either perceived like you're anticipating it, or real like it does. And these stressors can range, and they can be acute events, or they can be more chronic, and sometimes things change from acute to chronic. Now, what happens is overall when you get stressed, your body is programmed to respond appropriately. Meaning it wants you to live. So if the stressor, if we go back in time, is getting chased by a bear, you don't need to get pregnant at that moment or grow your hair or get taller. You need to run and get away from the bear. And so some of our systems are put in place in order to get us away from acute stressors or chronic stressors like living in a famine. If there's no food, it's going to put growth and reproduction secondary to survival mechanisms. And that's the point of our body's response to stress. And the body has these hormone systems made to respond. So there's something called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal gland axis. And there's also the sympathetic nervous system. And similarly, there's another System, the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian or the HPO axis that I talk about all the time, because that one controls your reproduction, your ovulation, your ovarian hormones. And so these systems are tightly intertwined. Let's step back and think about stressors for a moment, because I think the word connotates something very negative, but it's not always negative. So a very acute stressor could be something like public speaking. You're going to give a talk, it's very short, it's acute, that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a great opportunity. But in an acute stressor, your sympathetic nervous system turns on, norepinephrine is released, and this is the hormone that is really in charge of your reaction and how your body does in that acute moment. So turning up your heart rate, getting you ready to respond. So very brief, in that acute moment, you're ready to go. That's an acute stressor running from a bear, giving a talk in public. Maybe they're the same for you. Another is something that is maybe more prolonged like an event. From my own history, this is taking the MCAT or studying for the boards. Something that is a stressor that is present daily, but has an expiration date. And then we have the long version of that that truly is chronic. So those of us in medicine can use being in residency or being in fellowship. Okay, so this is an acute on chronic stressor. There's acute stress every day and you're chronically stressed and sleep deprived and living in an intense environment for years. Yes, it won't be like this forever, but your body does have to adapt for the years that you're there in order to survive. And then there are chronic stressors that are life-changing. And these are things where you truly have to adapt to the stress because it changes who you are or your perception of who you are. And this is a harder level of stress to deal with. So a surgeon who is in an accident and can't operate anymore, and being a surgeon is part of your career and your persona, or getting a divorce and having to reclaim who you are, these stressors require an adjustment in who you perceive yourself to be or who you are, and that's a very big change from homeostasis. And there's research over and over that shows past or distant stressors have an impact in the future, meaning childhood abuse or trauma. Even when you've recovered from those or those are in your past, the impact of that stress, even though it's distant, can still be seen in your present future. And I say all this just because it's really important to acknowledge the stress that we've been through or that we're going through. And it's important for us to actively work To fight against these mechanisms when we realize that we are being stressed and we understand what it's doing to our body. So, thinking about all this variety of stressors, good and bad and terrible, let's go back to what happens when your body sees stress. So, in that very short, acute moment of stress, you're gonna have your sympathetic nervous system turn on, and that's when you're gonna have that release of norepinephrine. Now, if this stress becomes more chronic, the body realizes this isn't just a Small thing, this is when our HPA axis turns on, and this starts to have more long lasting impacts on us. Okay, so H, hypothalamus, this is in our brain. This is a communicating system to go to the pituitary gland. If you've listened to this podcast before, we talk about the pituitary gland all the time. This is the axis. The brain, via the hypothalamus, tells the pituitary gland, also in the brain, to release messengers that go to our other endocrine organs, such as our ovaries or our adrenal glands. Those hormones that circulate in our blood tell our brain, hey, we're good. You don't need to send out as much of that. And that's called negative feedback. So the one I talk about all the time is FSH comes from the pituitary gland stimulated by GNRH or gonadotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. The pituitary gland secretes FSH, which works on the ovary to grow an egg. That egg makes estrogen. Pituitary gland also secretes LH or luteinizing hormone, which allows us to ovulate and then make progesterone from the corpus luteum. So that proper secretion, both in frequency and pulses of FSH and LH, are critical to ovulation. And so the brain and ovary must be best friends and work together in order to allow the first essential step in your fertility or reproduction, which is ovulation, or even just in normal hormone production, which the hormone de jour of the ovaries is estrogen, only made when you're growing a follicle, only comes when the pituitary glands secretes off FSH. And so if that process is being inhibited, you're not going to ovulate. And so I like to think about this HPO, brain to brain to ovary, back to brain. Think about it going in a circle. Same thing in our stress axis. So from the brain, from the hypothalamus, you have CRH, corticotropin-releasing hormone. Okay, this hormone is the main one that gets secreted to tell the pituitary gland, hey, we're under some stress. In response, the pituitary gland sends off something called ACTH, adrenocorticotropic hormone. Now ACTH goes from the pituitary to the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are small glands that sit above your kidneys. They are in charge of lots of hormone production. They release different hormones to different things. And in response to ACTH, they release three main things. We have a glucocorticoid, which is called cortisol. Most of us have heard of cortisol. It releases a mineral corticoid called aldosterone. And it releases adrenal androgens or sex hormones. And so what happens is CRH from the hypothalamus tells the pituitary gland to send off ACTH which tells the adrenal gland to make cortisol and other hormones, which tell the brain, don't send out any more CRH. So this process happens over and over again. And the more you are stressed by whatever the stressor is, and that chronic cortisol secretion tells the brain not to send out CRH, and then it gets unable to respond appropriately to future stressors and has many downstream hormonal impacts because our bodies are not made to live under chronic stress all the time. The brain is not supposed to be inhibited from one of its main ways of regulating our metabolism and how we respond to things. And so that is not a good thing to be under chronic stress. That's not how our bodies are meant to be in homeostasis. That's not homeostasis at all. Okay, so glucocorticoids or cortisol, one of its main functions is glucose metabolism, but also metabolism in general, how your cardiovascular system can respond, how your cells can grow, how your immune system responds, and reproduction, right? So this is an important hormone. Now you may have taken synthetic glucocorticoids all the time and not realized it. So things like dexamethasone or prednisone sometimes we as doctors give you these because we want to briefly turn on some of these other systems to help you get better faster if you are ill okay but the steroid pack you get when you're ill and you take it for five days is not the same as constantly having high glucocorticoids some people actually need exogenous glucocorticoids for a prolonged period of time because their adrenal glands don't function right. And in this situation, what happens is these end processes have huge side effects high blood pressure, weight gain, diabetes, or insulin resistance. These are not something you want to be taking long term. The body's not meant to function in a high glucocorticoid state forever. Okay, but the HPA system was not meant to be turned on long term or forever. But the modern world is much different than when the HPA system was first created. This is a very different world that we live in now. And so many people live in chronic stress every every day that then you can't respond to the acute stressor. You don't have the reserve. You're not able to mount the response that you need to to deal with something that is now emotionally or physically challenging that you need to respond to. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Let's think about what studies show us about how some of these stress related changes impact our fertility because they do. Disruption of the HPA axis impacts three main parts of your reproductive system. The first one is ovulation, the second one is fertilization, And the third one is implantation and placentation, meaning the development of the placenta. So as far as ovulation goes, this should be the easiest for us to comprehend because HPA, HPO, two of the brain parts are the same. And so when your body's under stress and suddenly your brain is being inhibited, it is not going to send out the appropriate signals of FSH and LH. Therefore, we see a decrease in ovulation, And if this persists, it can also lead to amenorrhea, complete absence of ovulation. And this is called hypothalamic amenorrhea because the hypothalamus is involved in what is being suppressed. This actually can take years to recover from. Meaning if you have HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, you don't ovulate because your hypothalamus doesn't tell your pituitary gland to send out any FSH or LH you might take forever to be removed from the stressor until your brain feels comfortable enough that it can now ovulate. And some of these stressors are things like heavy exercise, like you're training for the Olympics or you have an eating disorder. And some of these stressors are life or childhood trauma or big stressors that is really hard for us to understand. What may be stressful for one person may not be for another. So essentially, it's having such a stress response to whatever that stressor is that your brain now says, no, I'm not doing it because you're trying to survive. Your brain's in survival mode. It's in fight or flight. It cannot handle having a period or getting pregnant. It's not ready for that. And this is why I like to say, and so do other reproductive endocrinologists and gynecologists, your period is a vital sign. If you are not having a regular period every month and you're not taking any hormones, so birth control, IUDs can mess it up and that's fine. But if you're living your normal life with no hormones on board and your period is absent, absolutely that is not good. And please, please, please see one of us. Okay, so fertilization. An IVF study showed that from follicles, so remember there's an egg inside a follicle, a follicle has lots of fluid on the inside. So in this study, each follicle was drained, the egg was evaluated, and the follicular fluid was tested. And follicles that had higher level of cortisol inside the follicle, because these hormones travel all over our body, had significantly decreased fertilization rates, meaning that more stressed that you were, lower fertilization rate per egg. That should be a real big eye-opener for those of us who are trying to get pregnant or going through IVF or talk to patients who are going through IVF daily. And then implantation. A mouse study was looking at the actual environment of the uterus to kind of give us some physiological mechanisms for things that are important for implantation. And what it saw was that the more you had higher cortisol levels, you had decreased growth of the endometrial cells, decreased in cell proliferation inside the uterus, decreases something called VEGF, which is really important in implantation, and lower implantation rates. And in human studies, when you had higher levels of stress hormones, you had less implantation of blastocysts, these are IVF studies, and you didn't have the appropriate immune system turned on in order to accept an implantation embryo. So the maternal immune system is very, very important inside the endometrium. You've heard me say that the endometrium is an immune responsive tissue. This is what's important for letting a mom accept a baby, which is something foreign. Our body usually attacks foreign things. The immune system has to be told, hey, this is okay, let this implant. Taking this a step further, Higher levels of stress or stress hormones have been associated with preterm birth. So a stressor in the six months prior to getting pregnant in very huge population-based cohort studies had a four times increased chance of preterm birth. And a study showed in African-American women who had a stressful event in their childhood, so childhood stressor trauma, had a significant increase in preterm birth. So even our stressors that we carry with us may permanently change how our body responds to stress in the future. And we can even extrapolate some of this to our women in medicine who tend to have more stress when they're in training or even female surgeons. There was a study published in JAMA And this showed us both an increase in infertility in female surgeons, which we've seen this in female physicians across the board, and also showed an increase in pregnancy complications, including preterm birth. And so we already said, hey, residency or maybe surgical life in general is a chronic stressor. The lifestyle that it is can impact your reproduction. And then in some of my favorite studies, which are fecundability studies, natural fertility studies, there were two big cohort studies, one done in the UK and one done in the US, looking at couples who are trying to get pregnant naturally and their ovulation. In these studies, salivary hormones were checked so that they could check stress hormones in the saliva and higher levels of stress hormones were associated with a decreased chance of getting pregnant. So in the LIFE study, which is a big study here in the U.S., had over 500 couples in it, there was a two times chance of not getting pregnant if you had higher levels of stress hormones. And so these stress hormones actually impact multiple layers across our reproductive system, from ovulation to fertilization to implantation and even throughout pregnancy complications. So I think it's really important that we talk about this. This means that even if you have regular periods, that doesn't mean that, oh, stress doesn't impact me because I don't have HA. I'm not an amenorrhea. No, stress can still impact the ability to fertilize or have an embryo implanted or carry a successful pregnancy. So we really need to be talking about lifestyle and fertility and you all know this is a huge passion of mine. The reality is that stress is hard to quantify on a person to person level. What makes you stressed may not make me. But research is constantly showing us that decreasing our levels of stress is essential to how our body should function. And this is why across the board, we keep seeing studies with lifestyle-based interventions showing improved fertility rates. And what I really want to challenge you is to realize how your body functions and what makes a difference. So let's think about one thing norepinephrine that hormone that's released in that first acute stressor before the HPA axis gets turned on it's lowest when you sleep sleep is essential for stress reduction and i am preaching to the choir and you can call me pot kettle black whatever that is because i'm the worst at this when my life gets more stressful and i have more things on my to-do list sleep is the first thing to go It has been my whole life. I'm a crammer. I'll stay up the whole night before a test. That's when I feel everything like turned on and activated. Go, 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 go. And that is not good. Meaning we really need to combat stress the most by giving our bodies chance to be removed from the stressor so that we can appropriately respond to it the next day. So if you can get sleep, an appropriate amount of sleep, then the next day you're gonna be able to respond better to that stress. You're gonna be more efficient and make better choices. And so this burn the candle at both ends mentality has got to go. We have to stop measuring ourselves by our busyness or feeling like that's a good thing. I was up all night doing this and doing that and creating awesome stuff. Good for you, but everything comes at a cost And your body and how your hormones work is worth paying attention to. So number one, we all need to sleep better. Number one, we all need to sleep better. You got to put your phone away from the bed and go to sleep. Stop scrolling on Instagram in the middle of the night or when you're supposed to be going to bed. That is the worst of sleep hygiene habits. And I'm so guilty of this. I'll just check this one thing and then I'm on my phone for 30 minutes or more looking at nonsense. So we need to be prioritizing our health, and one of those is going to be sleep. Now, the others are going to depend on who you are. Other things that can improve your stress are things that allow you to release yourself from the stressful environment. So, yoga, acupuncture, meditation. Mindfulness, therapy, exercise. Those are some of the top ones. And people are gonna respond differently. But a good example here is that if your HPA system is constantly turned on and your adrenal glands are already pumping out cortisol, you wanna release stress with exercise, a HIIT workout, a high-intensity interval training where you're purposely going all out for a minute and then recovering for a minute and going all out again may not be the best thing because you're asking your body to become more stressed. So I often recommend to some of my patients, hey, low intensity or moderate exercise for a little bit longer period of time where it's not this huge burst of energy needed, but you're getting your muscles moving, you're getting your blood flowing, and you're getting some of those stress reduction properties. The world of exercise has told us that Faster is better and harder is better. And so this hit workout in Tabata is so super popular. And I think it definitely has a place. But if we're talking about you're trying to optimize your reproductive system and you're trying to lower your stress as a part of that, then that's probably not the thing for you. You actually need to be honing in on more moderate exercise so that you can get your blood flow moving and get those stress reduction properties from a mind game as well. We don't wanna be having huge cortisol bursts during that. This is always really important, I think, in PCOS patients who already have their adrenal glands tend to be turned on. I tell them not to do HIIT workouts but to do the low or moderate intensity stuff. So when this podcast first started, I used to ask everybody questions or action points. And I really want us to think about from this moment, I want to ask you a few questions. Number one, what is causing you to be stressed? What is it? There's some stress that is good. I carry stress for my patients and trying to figure out what to do with them all the time. I don't want to let that stress go. That one makes me a good doctor. But sometimes I carry stress from other tasks on my to-do list that don't give me joy. So things like not saying yes to every opportunity in front of you, setting boundaries and saying no, protecting your time and your to-do list. Those can also be really good stress management techniques. So I'm not really giving many talks right now, like talks to students in schools, which although I love them, I prepare for them. It takes time. And I just said, hey, this is a boundary that I'm drawing so that I can take care of my patients, take care of my family, and not be as stressed about all the things on my to-do list. Can you outsource certain things? Even when I was in training and we didn't have tons of money, we would have somebody come and help clean the house once every couple of weeks because that to-do on my list every day felt very burdensome. And by outsourcing that, It was worth it to me to be able to use my time more effectively. So having a really busy to-do list builds up stress on me. The next thing is, how can you use your time more efficiently? So I want you to ask, are you using your time best? So number one, what's causing you stress that you can set a boundary and get rid of? Number two, are you using your time well? I am a morning person. I am a morning person. I am most creative and I'm sharpest in the morning. I am not the best afternoon person. I know this. So now most of my new patients are in the morning or very early afternoon. I, on my day off, do my most creative stuff in the morning. I record content and write in the morning. And I do less brainy tasks like answering email in the afternoon. So think about when do you work your best? And are you putting your most important tasks in your best time? Are you prioritizing your day right? And number three, how can you do better at stress reduction techniques? How do you work? What do you respond to? Can you incorporate exercise, yoga, therapy, meditation, mindfulness into your life? I'm sure the answer is yes, but which one and how's it going to work for you? Maybe you need an accountability buddy. I don't know who you need, but maybe you need to find a way to say, this is what I need to go into that space, put my phone away, not be reached by anybody else, and put some time on me. Okay, and the last one is how can you sleep better? What time do you need to get up to get all these things done? What time do you need to go to bed in order to make that happen? When are you gonna put away your phone if that's the time you're going to bed? Are you watching TV in bed? Is that keeping you up too late? What about your sleep habits or hygiene? Can you change to optimize that sleep so that you're giving your HPA access time to be out of stress and recover so that you can more adequately deal with the stress of the next day? Okay, so those are your challenge questions. What can you set some new boundaries for? How can you be more productive? What stress reduction techniques can you add to your life or make a priority, and how can you sleep better? Your reproductive system is not the only one that stress has a huge impact and influence on, but it's the one that I'm an expert in. And so I'm bringing it home by words that we say often and things that I talk about in this space to make you understand that we shouldn't just sweep stress under the rug or allow ourselves to live a life that is too chronically stressed you are worth making a priority. And to all of my fertility warriors, my people trying to conceive out there, I'm not trying to make you more stressed about stress. I'm trying to give you data and education so at least you have in your hand what you need to know to make the best choices for you. And prioritizing yourself is always the right answer. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always you can follow on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or check out the YouTube channel for more educational topics. Thanks friends.